Look at all these loose dicks. <laughs> what do I do? Ugh. Hey guys, free dicks. <laughs> 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 why you thought this wasn't noty it was like this guy was like totally stabler's future oh my god i love that perception yeah i mean he he almost lost his job because of this shit this guy is like who stabler could be yes <gasps> he's the ghost of christmas stabler future <laughs> yeah um, oh my god like in the first thing i'm like okay i'm sorry and jeffrey's lost her job like <laughs> please when he's like i made a guy eat his gun yeah, and she's like, I boned a dude. And they're like, get her out of here, you tramp. <laughs> Whatever. You can be a hothead, but not a slut. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. No, it's not that I didn't think it was like noty. I was just sort of like, I think it was the mood that I was in when I was doing it. I was like not coming up with any fun anything. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Okay. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season two, episode 13, Victims. <sighs> So the opening scene, Benson and Stabler show up to a crime scene. It's dark, there's snow, there's like people everywhere in an ambulance. This neighborhood watch dude greets them and he said he found the body of a guy named Thomas Marchek, who's a pedophile. So this guy, Sam Winfield, is being played by Eric Roberts. I didn't know his name, but he's like always a bad guy and stuff. Oh, he plays an amazing fucking villain. I go into it yeah. later. Like if it wasn't Eric Roberts, I'd be like, this is a one-off scene right yeah but because it was eric roberts i'm like what do you have to do with shit yeah exactly but also i know because it's him there's gonna be some like dramatic yet subtle acting choices made and i mm -hmm. love it yeah he's so fucking good he is yeah um also eric roberts comes back in season seven as another dude oh so stabler recognizes the name marchek he had raped a seven-year-old girl and stabler was the one to put him away he said he left her cut up and unconscious in a drain pipe yeah. And then Winfield goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> we're like, okay. He's like, yeah, this horrible thing happened. And Winfield's like, I knew that already. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, how do you know that? And he's like, I'm just doing my job. And like, then gives them his card, his like crime watch card or his neighborhood watch card. For your volunteer position. Out of his like pocket, like a magician, <laughs> out of his sleeve or whatever. <laughs> he had it like it tucked in his sleeve. Yeah. Like my grandma with old tissues. <laughs> It's like, here, wipe your nose and call me if you need anything. Yeah. So at this point, in my mind, I'm like 20 seconds into the thing. I'm like, I'm calling it. I'm calling it now. The Neighborhood Watch banded together to get rid of pedophiles that moved into the neighborhood. Vigilante justice. Also, right. hello, Benson's beret. Ooh. Did you even notice her beret when they showed up? See, I knew I was in a weird mood because no, I didn't. Oh, I thought you would have totally. Yeah. We're canceling this episode. I need to watch this again. <laughs> I fucking hate a beret. Any beret on anybody, but like on Benson, I'm like, whatever, get it. You're awesome. So the homicide detective says that Marchek had three shots point blank to the face with a nine millimeter. So Benson and Stabler are like confused why SVU was called. I'm confused how we know the identity of this guy because he was shot three times in the fucking face. Maybe he had a wallet on him. I don't know. It was out in the street. I don't know. So apparently it was reassigned by request from the you chief. You made that not fun. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh <laughs> A bunch of guys fucking jigsaw puzzles face together and they were like, Marchek. Okay. That's what cops Thanks. do, right? <laughs> yeah. 
apparently it was reassigned by request from the chief of detectives. Stapler's like, this is a dead ex-con. Are any of his injuries sexual in nature? And the guy's like, I have no clue, but it was requested by um, a Mr. Let me see, uh, Captain Craigan. And we're like, what? Yeah, I don't know why I noticed this guy's hat and not Benson's because I called him a Newsies cop. I know. I was like, oh, I wish fucking Stabler was wearing that. I like when he wears his little Newsy hats. So now we're at the precinct. Stabler busts in. Everyone's like, whoa. Benson's like, hey, you know, give him a chance to explain. And I'm like, what's going on? He fucking like huffy puffy walks into Craigan's office like he's the boss. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure Craigan's going to put him in his place in like two fucking seconds. He actually just stomps in and goes, why? Yeah. Yeah. And they have this very intimidating on both sides conversation. Yeah. And he was like, when I collared Marchek, I was ready to kill him myself. And then that's where I'm like, okay, and Jeffries is the one that got fucking fired. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Craig is like, um, excuse me. <laughs> one police plot. That's how we said it too. Um, excuse me. And his nails are really long. <laughs> his, he had all this gloss on his... <laughs> Lips. He's got he's got his hand up, but just his index finger wiggling back and forth. <laughs> he's like, turn around, come back through the door appropriately. He's like, excuse me, one police plaza asked me to take this. And I said, yes. And Stabler straight up fucking says to Craigan's face to polish your political apple. <gasps> oh, my God. Dude, you're walking at its fucking tightrope. Yeah. Guy. Calm down, guy. <laughs> Craigan is calm, though, because he knows fucking stabler shit and he's like it's delicate territory and you know the players and then Craigan commands him to go talk to the parents of the seven-year-old victim that one that he left in the drain pipe stabler fucking steps up to him and says i will tell the girl's parents the good news of marchek's death but i will not tell them they're suspects in his murder like he has a choice yeah so like apparently the mother of the girl threatened marchek at his last parole hearing because of course duh Craigan fucking gets in his face and yells are you finished and like stabler totally shuts up Craigan's like i'm through explaining my Myself. You caught it. You make it. Yeah. And then I was like, boy, <laughs> we're off to a good start in the episode as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Theme song. Do, 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 SVU. <laughs> I thought we were just doing theme songs. <laughs> Welcome to the SVU, where we solve sex crimes. And then everybody's like looking at files and like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got me working. So Benson and Stabler are at the home of the little girl who Marchek raped. The mom couldn't believe that he had been released. And Stabler obviously had gotten close to this case. He's referring to the mom as Lindsay and saying he'd have testified to keep him in prison if she would have let him know that this hearing was up. And she's like, I thought it was just a formality. Like, it Mm -hmm. seemed fucking ridiculous that what this guy did to my daughter, he would only be in prison for the amount of time that he was there. Mm -hmm. A little girl, probably around 10, sits at an early 2000s computer setup in the next room. Mom says that she was home with Corinne the night before. Corinne's the little girl, obviously. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't leave her out of my sight. She and dad are now divorced. And she's super pissed that the detectives are asking about all this. And she's like, haven't we been through enough? Yeah. So Stabler notices Corinne in the other room. He walks in there slowly and starts saying, hi, it's me, Elliot. Do you remember me? Mm-hmm. She does not turn around. Mm-hmm. And she's not even tapping on her computer or anything. She's just kind of sitting there staring at it. And he's like, oh, you've really grown. She turns her head and doesn't look at him. And she speaks really matter of factly and goes, I remember you. 
you caught that man. Thank you. Stabler tells her that she doesn't have to say thank you. Then he asks her about school and she tells him that she's homeschooled because she doesn't like when people look at her. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I'm ugly. I know. And he's like, that's not true. And she goes, yes, it is. And she turns to present this enormous scar that takes up the entire side of her face where Marchek cut her. Yeah. And Sailor just kind of like looks down at the ground and didn't like reassure her that she was. It was so weird because she was like, I'm ugly. And he's like, no, you're not. You're beautiful. And then she looks over and he was like, yeah. She's like, see. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was yeah, like, come are. on, dude, you have children. Like I like to imagine that the conversation went on further and he just gave her the moment to like to feel that. Ugh, how awful. Yeah. How awful for that fictional character. <laughs> so now we're at Smitty Inner City Meets, which is what they used to call Tasha in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I was I was like, oh, my God, I only did one scene. You're not going to let me do anymore. <laughs> you just wanted to do I that. I did. Go ahead, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was good Good. i'm just proud of that one i was literally typing it going like (laughs) that's great oh my god okay so they're so they're at this place this is where marchek worked munch and toots are there talking to this driver he says that marchek was a good driver and did deliveries with him sometimes they had always had pretty innocuous conversations but he did say that some ex was stalking him who drove a light blue honda mm-hmm. um, and he was like she's a little older so what's that about and it's like we don't need to get into that yeah i know it's like okay i'm not gonna okay So this guy tells the detectives that Marchek has a current girlfriend, Gloria something. And he tells them to go check in the office because she's probably Marchek's emergency contact. Yeah, because he doesn't have any family or friends or anything because he's a piece of shit. So, Yeah. Munch and Toots go to see Gloria Palmera, played by (gasps) Rosemarie DeWitt. Yes. Yeah. She kind of looks like Mary Louise Parker from Weeds, but it's not her. I always confuse the two. Yeah. This woman, Rosemary DeWitt, was in United States of Terra, which I loved. Wait, was she the sister? Yes. Yes. Okay. I love that show too, by the way. What's that? United States of Terra. I wish there had been more. Oh my God. I know. I was like, what happened in that fucking shed? I know. And then they just like cut it off. Just at least fucking wrap it up. Yeah. I don't know. I love Tony Collette. Don't just like go on a road trip. Anyways, go ahead. She was in the Archangel episode of Black Mirror. Which one was Archangel? So, okay, it's the one where she's the mom. She has the baby and she gets that like chip or whatever implanted in the <gasps> baby to. So she can't see bad things or things yeah. that she's afraid of. Yeah. Yes. And then like she ends up like killing her mom and then she, it's all pi- her mom's all pixelated because she fucking murders her or whatever. Yep. Spoiler if you haven't seen Black Mirror. <laughs> but. She's in La La Land, Mad Men, the 2015 remake of Poltergeist. Like she's got a million things. She's rad. Yeah. But in this, she's Gloria Palmera and she's dating a fucking psychotic rapist. Yeah. They've been dating for four months. He's changed. Oh, my God. It grossed me out. I know. They'd been dating for four months and she had been working the previous night at Club Divine on 34th Street. She didn't know anything about him having an ex or anything like that that would be stalking him. But this neighborhood watch dude had been bothering them. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So 
This yeah. other woman is there as well, serving tea and throwing <gasps> in comments here and there. Oh my God, I fucking love this lady. She's so, so young in this. She was in True Detectives, so many things. Um, she's an amazing actress. I have mm-hmm. full body chills. One of the, the most recent things people would probably recognize her in was Handmaid's Tale is Aunt Lydia, right? Yes. Am I saying this right? Yeah. Yes. And also she was in Leftovers, which is an awesome show that a lot of people haven't watched and don't know why, mm. with that guy that used to date Jennifer Aniston and the other chick that's in a lot of shit. <laughs> this is like the only person on any ep- episode that I was like, I know you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Her name is Ann Dowd. Ann Dowd. Yeah. She's yeah. fucking rad. She's so tiny in this episode. It's crazy. She's burned into my memory as Kim's mom, Cookie, in Freaks and Geeks. Oh, I don't even remember. She's yeah. burned into my brain from... She's only in like the very last episode of fucking True Detective season one. Mm-hmm. She's like, you don't make flowers on me anymore. And I was like, oh, yeah, she she's got fucking insane range. Mm-hmm. She's an amazing actress. She's always done like supportive roles, but she fucking crushes it. Yeah. She's also great in this because right when they're sitting down with Gloria and she's like, oh, I'm feeling really sad talking about my dead boyfriend or whatever to the cops. I was going to be like, Aunt Lydia comes up. No, fucking this Louise. Her name's Louise in mm-hmm. this. Okay. Louise comes up and like puts her hands on Gloria's shoulders and she's like, do we have to do this now mm-hmm. to the detectives? And they ignore her and she just goes, mm. And makes this face and stands up and walks away. But anyways, she keeps like coming in and making commentary. I feel like more recently since that True Detective stuff, she's been like getting more roles that I've noticed her in. Like because it was True Detectives and it was like she had a big, huge role in Leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen that? No. Oh, so good. Go on H. Just fucking watch it, please. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> what is it on? HBO. All of a sudden, like half of the population or something like that just disappears. Uh, and then it's like, everybody's like, oh my God, it's the rapture. And some people are like, what? This is like a weird thing. And it's like physics and this fucking whole thing. And then there's like insurance companies that like you have to ask you all these questions for family members that have like, and it's, it's, I think it takes place like three years, third year anniversary of it. It's like fucking weird. I am going to hang up right now and go watch that because as soon as you said people disappeared. Yeah. And everyone's living in this reality. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to watch. And there's this, like, group of people who wear all white T-shirts and jeans and shit, and they just smoke a ton. And they don't Mm -hmm. talk. But they're, like, some kind of weird, like, leftovers cult thing. Yeah, French. Yeah, they're French. Um, (laughs) And she's the main guy's, like, wife after, oh, and then you find out why she goes to the cult. Who's that chick? Wait, hold on. Who's the chick from Lord of the Rings and Empire Records? Oh, fucking um, Steven Tyler's daughter. Yeah. Her name is... Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler, yeah. She's in it. Okay. Just watch it. It's fucked up. It's good. Okay. I'm going to rewatch it. Okay, whatever. Sorry. Go ahead. All right. Anyway, so back to this girlfriend crying over this total piece of shit, Marchek. Okay. She and Louise tell the detectives the neighborhood watch guy harassed her and Marchek all the time, as well as handed out flyers letting people know who her boyfriend was. Mm-hmm. And she's like, nobody saw the good in Tommy but me. And Toots goes, uh, you know what he did? Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's changed. 
Yeah. And then Louise was like, can't you see she's in enough pain? Where's your compassion? And Toots legit says, um, with the little girl he raped and cut. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, he's not wrong, though. No. Benson Stabler are at the apartment of Josh Branson, who is Corinne's dad. He's pissed, obviously, mm-hmm. but he was away on business and he gives them the receipts of his hotel stay. So he's not the guy that killed Marchek. He's like, do you want the receipts? And Stabler's like, no, that's fine. Yeah, to live. <laughs> Benson's like, actually, we do. Actually, we do. We yeah. need those. He wants to know how his ex-wife Lindsay and Corinne are doing. He doesn't see her as often as he should because Lindsay blames him all the time for what happened. Mm-hmm. Olivia's like, your daughter's alive, dude. She like needs you. Yeah, but there was like fallout in every aspect. Of there has to have been. Yeah. That happening to yeah. like every one of them. Yeah. He's like when Marchek did that to his daughter, it like killed a part of him, too. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to pretend because like Benson's like she needs you. And it's like, don't how about not be a fucking therapist right now? And like, yeah, you don't know like don't know how shit. it affected him and what they went through behind closed doors. Yeah. And what he's like trying to process to like, of course, it would be best if he could be there for his daughter. But like, I don't know. I don't know. He also says that Lindsay really won't let him near her and she like shut themselves off. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously trying to protect her daughter, but it's probably doing more harm than isolating her. But who fucking, I mean, people, whatever, you know. So right. he bought Lindsay a car hoping she'd take Corinne to the country where she could play safely outside and have a life outside sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's a fucking Honda Accord. Oh, shit. They ask if Lindsay takes Corinne out when she runs errands. He says no, but there's like a sweet lady across the hall named Virginia Kohler who stays with Corinne when Lindsay's off doing stuff. So Benson and Slayway go to Virginia Kohler's apartment. It just cuts to her and she's like, you think Lindsay killed the bastard? Yeah. (laughs) She's one of the only people that Lindsay trusts. Virginia doesn't think that Lindsay murdered Marchek, Mm -hmm. but she does admit that she was watching Corinne the night Marchek was murdered so that Lindsay could go grocery shopping and then she came back at, at around 11. So it's mm-hmm. possible. Right. Now we're in Cabot's office. Benson, Stabler, Craig, and Cabot are in there. Benson says DMV lists Lindsay Branson as the owner of a blue 98 Honda Accord. So it's a blue fucking Honda. Josh Branson, Lindsay's ex-husband that they talked to, has a registered 9mm Smith & Weston. But it's not Lindsay's. Cabot's like, uh, you need to pick her up. And Stabler's not into it. Mm-hmm. Cabot wants a lineup for Marchek's co-workers to ID as the stalker. Stabler's really upset. He doesn't want to bring in the mother of a 7-year-old girl who's been raped and tortured understandably but Kevin goes uh just do it and if she's not ID'd she can go and Stabes is like um you're not the boss of me and Craig is like well I am and if you don't listen you're grounded <laughs> he's like you better adjust your attitude before I write you on insubordination mm-hmm. and Stabler kind of calms down a bit and he's like I don't think we have enough evidence right and without skipping a beat Craig is like I think we do either get right with that or go home and then Stabes fucking goes home <laughs> right he just leaves and Benson's just sitting there the whole time going <sighs> Just like peeking out from behind Craig. And- yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'll call you later. Next, we see Lindsay in a lineup and the dude immediately IDs her. Munch and Toots are exercising search warrants for the car and apartment. And Benson will be interrogating Lindsay. On her own. Yeah. Because Staves went home. Yeah. To like talk to Kathy about it and for Maureen to be like, I want a new car. Yeah. I want a blue Honda Accord. I bought 14 tomatoes for your next sandwich. (laughs) Lindsay's sitting in an interrogation room. Olivia walks in and is treating her with kid gloves, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Lindsay refuses a lawyer 
And she's like, I'm glad he's dead. And she's like, I don't feel any better, though. And she admits that she did follow him everywhere. And seeing his face tortured her. She dreamed of killing him. And the night before, she followed him from the meat market to a bar. She did have her husband's gun. And she said she just couldn't do it. And then she's like, and then somebody else did it for me. Yeah. And she was like so happy. Yeah. Like cry, happy, very like messy emotion. Yeah. But very believable. Yeah. Right. Then there's a rap on the glass. Tap, tap. Craig is on the other side with the tent set up because that's where he vacations. <laughs> there's a little fire. He's eating baked beans out of a can. He's got a little flannel on. He's like, you're doing a good job, Liv. Do you want a s'more? He's poking at the fire with a stick. <laughs> the sprinkler system goes off. Everybody's like, what the fuck, Craigian? Somehow, somehow there's like a tiny little stream going through. Well, there's a lot of good trout in here. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, okay. <laughs> oh she's like dude i don't have a fucking confession yet and craigan's like you don't need one and hands her a slip of paper oh shit benson's got somewhere to be yeah oh benson's coming up on a crime scene yep staves is there she goes up to him and she's like if craigan finds out that i called you and immediately staves is like i got it off the scanner yep so He's a rapist who has recently been paroled. Mm -hmm. He was shot three times in the head with a nine millimeter with hollow point bullets. Damn. Just like Marchek. Just like Marchek, which lets Lindsay off the hook for Marchek. And Staves goes, yeah, but it puts us on the trail of a serial killer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you guys are full. Okay, now that Lindsay's not involved anymore, how is it still your thing, Staves? How does it still have to be his? I think Cragen's trying to like... I don't fucking know. I'm not even going to go because it's a TV show. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, it needs I'm to like, get wrapped Craigen's up. Craig trying to teach him a lesson after 20 some years on the force. He really knows how to reach inside of me. It's like these are these aren't even real people. <laughs> <laughs> so Benson and Stabler are talking to a tiny, stern faced, cold, older woman. Mm -hmm. Her name is Mrs. Moss. It is Craig's mom. She is played by Phyllis Somerville. I okay. don't know who that is. There's so many people in this. That There's you know. so many people. She's a great actor. She was on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, The Big C, House of Cards. Anyway, she just died in July, too. Oh. So R.I.P. She's Craig Moss's mom, like I said, the second rapist shot in the face. She tells the detectives that they were harassed a lot. There were flyers with his face on them all over the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Moss had the shit beat out of him a week prior by the owner of the corner market, Pullum. And she also tells them that her son was raped in prison and contracted HIV. Yeah. Well, she said some stuff earlier, too, that I liked this character because it was like she wasn't denying. She wasn't mm -hmm. like, my son's a good boy. She like asked Stabler right away if he suffered. And then she's like, but not enough for you guys, right? Mm. She was like, I blame myself. If my son hadn't been born, these women wouldn't have been raped. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, damn. And she straight up says, she's like, I, I hate what he did, but I still love my son. Which like, as a mom, I'm like, yeah, I get that. Of course. It's just nice to see like a, a mom portrayed like not in denial. Right. So Benson and Stabler are talking to Pullum, the store owner who tuned up Moss. Pullum caught him checking out a couple of teen girls who were there to buy soda and he wasn't fucking having it. Mm -hmm. He was in his store working when Moss was killed and he tells the cops that he found out about Moss from a citizen's watch guy who brought flyers into the store. Oh God, who could it be? Pullum tells them that the citizen watch rents a space at the rec center a couple blocks down the street. Mm -hmm. They yeah. need to go discuss this with Julia Roberts' brother. <gasps> That's right. That's who he mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Always, yeah. So we're at the Citizen Watch place. It's that one dude, Eric Roberts. 
Win- Winfield or whatever. Um, yeah. They're like, hey, um, you need to stop distributing the flyers. And he's like, we're only trying to inform and prevent, not incite murder. Benson and Stabler want a, wit- a list of all of the members. Benson and Stabler. <laughs> I know. I know. Benson ben- and Stabler want a whist. <laughs> we need that whist really quick. <laughs> we have work like, to do. We got tons of work to do. This dude, This Winfield dude's like, yeah, we only do this because you guys don't protect us, so we're protecting ourselves, you know? The system puts him in our neighborhood and turns its back. And they're like, yeah. where would you suggest they send him? And he's like, hell's good and hot. Yep. See, <laughs> every scene with Eric Roberts in it is so well done. Mm-hmm. He's got so many tiny little nuanced things that he does. It's all just very thought out. Every move he makes is just perfect. So now we're in the squad room. So the chief wants protection detail on the rest of the dudes on the flyers. Stabler's annoyed by it. And this is to protect SVU from lawsuits and the rest of the dudes getting murdered. So the guy's names are Trent Wills and James Campbell. Stabler and Marine Freaky Friday switched places. So he teen eye rolls so fucking hard. (laughs) He did. Cool. So we're protecting rapists now. Yeah. Kragen's like, these men have rights and we have to do our jobs. Anything else? Munch says ballistics came back and Lindsay's gun wasn't a match, but both murders were done with the same gun, just not Lindsay's. Kragen sends them off to talk to the two parolees left, Wills and fucking Campbell. Kragen also pulls Stabler aside and tells him he's like, I'm sick of your disrespect of my command and... You're going to have to get your shit together because I'm over it, you know? Yeah, but I'm like, Stabler's a hothead, Craigan. You know that. He's got to rein him in, dude. Mm. Munch and Toots are at Trent Will's apartment. He's got a valley accent and he giggles after everything he says. Yeah, he's literally the shittiest piece of shit that I've seen on SVU so far. Not true, but he's up there. But he's gross. Yeah. So he's like, police protection. This means I got a ride to work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Toots asked if he's noticed anyone following him. And he tells them, two old fat broads and matching windbreakers. (laughs) Two ugly fat broads. Yeah. He says they're a part of Winfield's army. And then he asks if there are any babes on the case. And as he's asking this, he walks over to the fridge, pulls out a can of beer, Pops it and says, it's been a while. I'm getting a little anxious. <laughs> and he takes a drink of this can of beer, like someone who just had a mouthful of dental work done. <laughs> like, yeah. And it just runs down the sides of his mouth and chin, all this foam. And I know he's doing it to look creepy, but when I saw him do it, I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if as soon as they all cut, all of them just busted out fucking <laughs> yeah. laughing because he's just like... <gasps> Because, like, even even a creepy person would be like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't think he even got it in his mouth. He popped it and then just, like, held the foam up to his face to run down. And he smiles and, like, comes out between his teeth. Like, I think Jeremy was like, don't cut that. That's Should we do it again? No. It's perfect. And also the music in the background sounds like, or second-rate Nintendo music. Like, this is what he's jamming out to. It's super weird. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are at a park surrounded by kids sledding and playing, and they're talking to James Campbell. He seems very different than the other three mm-hmm. on the flyer. Yeah, his daughter's in the background like, look at me, dad, like sledding. Mm-hmm. And- he ignores her like any good parent. <laughs> he says that he and his family are trying to live a normal life. His boss fired him. He goes on to tell them about his crime. He was 22. The girl was 15, but they were in a nightclub and she told them that she was 19. He says Sam Winfield has been harassing him. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing, too, is he said he didn't deny any of it. He he went to prison. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of believe that where it's like one of those situations where you're 
where that happens. And at right. least he didn't go like, oh, she was asking for it or whatever. She was he was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know all the details of it. I mean, but yeah. obviously, but the way they're presenting it, like we can fill in the gaps, you know, whatever. We don't have to yeah. speculate. But he seems like not like the others. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to be to be a ra- you can be like, hey, I'm just a nice guy and be a yeah. fucking rapist, too. Just so. like we're on a TV show and they're like clearly trying to portray a rapist by chugging a beer weird and the other guy having yeah. a nice haircut. Like James wasn't chugging a beer and kicking kids in the face at the park. So that's where like he's a good guy, <laughs> you know, like right. that's what they tell. He looked like remember that kid from Tool Time, the older brother with the blonde hair. <gasps> he looked like him, but yes, older. Brad. <laughs> Brad Taylor. Brad who also I was like in a fucking tool time K-hole for some reason the other night at like three in the morning and I was looking up his life and he's he's kind of a shitty dude. Yeah. Anyways. He's blonde. So. I know. Gross. <laughs> Both my kids are blonde. I know. It's disgusting. <laughs> Not forever though. You mean until they can die it? N- no, because I was blonde when I was a kid and John was blonde when he was a kid. Neither of us are blonde. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen your actual hair. Uh, Yeah. It's like a dishwatery blonde. brown. <laughs> Anywho. Back at the precinct, Munch is telling Cragen all roads lead to Winfield. And Cragen's like, who is this guy? Benson's got the background. He's a former cop from Albany. It's funny that he never said that to him because former cops love telling them that they're former cops. Mm-hmm. He took early retirement after a, quote, bad shot where he, whoop, killed a rapist. Mm-hmm. He has a huge collection of registered weapons, including a nine millimeter. Every single person that they come in contact with this episode has a nine millimeter registered I know. to them. But it's like Oprah, like you get a nine millimeter, you get a nine. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Oprah. <laughs> Cregan wants Marchek's girlfriend, Gloria, and her friend Louise to ID Winfield in a photo array since they've been harassed by a particular citizen's watch dude. Mm-hmm. So the detectives are going to go and hit them up. Mm-hmm. Benson Saylor show up to the State Street Clinic. Louise is a social worker there. They show Louise a photo array and she picks out his picture right away. Yeah, she she immediately points out Winfield and then says that she saw him show Marchek his gun and say, watch out. Yes. Okay, so Munch and Toots are in the back room of Gloria's work with her talking about Winfield. She's wearing a uniform that she and her co-worker are wearing and it just includes like a sparkly blue... Like sequence top, yeah. Se- like, yeah, sequin... What did you call it? A sequence top. What? You ca- did you call it a sequins top? Sequins? Sequins top. Is it sequin? And that's supposed yeah. to say sequins. Yeah. Well, because Roxy Andrews is like, I've got my sequins gown. And everybody's like, what's a sequins gown? She's like, my gown. It's got sequins on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's like, what do you, what? There, it's more than one sequins. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah and so it was like this whole thing it's, i remember that episode it's oh yeah like, it's an iconic drag race moment yeah i thought you were like oh my god did you gabe did you just call a shirt a top for the first time ever <laughs> that's what i thought you were <laughs> looking at me i'm roxy andrews and i'm here to make it clear <laughs> okay so she said winfield followed them everywhere and even came into her work to talk shit about marchek and tell her to leave him once when he was there marchek came in and picked winfield up by his shirt Winfield split Marchek's head open with an ashtray and said if he ever touched him again, he'd kill him. Yeah. She's telling him this like in distress. Let's not forget that Marchek raped a little girl and disfigured her face. Yeah, let's not forget about that. So there's no redemption for that. I'm not saying anything except for just keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. At the precinct, they're all confirming that Winfield is the one stirring this shit up. Mm -hmm. Cragen comes in and lets them know that there have been shots fired at the Campbell residence. That's the dude who was 22 with a 15 year old. Yeah. 
The guy in the sledding hill? Yeah. With the nice haircut who obviously wouldn't hurt anybody. Of course. So Benson and Stabler are at the Campbell house. James is obviously distraught. He had sent his family to a hotel room. He said that he had seen Winfield outside staring in his window and then, then the window explodes. Prior to this, Winfield had stopped Campbell on the street and told him if he didn't get out of the neighborhood, Campbell would wind up like those other two guys, which... Sounds like a threat. Mm-hmm. And he's like, where's the fucking detail? And I'm like, well, they don't start till midnight. They're like, when the detail gets here, we'll send your family back home. And he's like, no, <laughs> they're safer where they are. Right. We're watching Benson and Stabler question Winfield, but we're on the other side of the glass with Cabot, Munch, Toots, and Cragen. Mm-hmm. Winfield says that he was at work until 10 p.m. and then he went home. He did go out for a dinner break about 6 p.m. and he said that he ran into Campbell, but he was warning him, not threatening him. Mm-hmm. Quote, he gets in my face and calls me a stalker. I don't have to take that from anybody, least of all a stinking rapist. Yes. He denies shooting at Campbell and says that Campbell was mistaken. This This is where Winfield sits down and acts his ass off. He tells the detectives he was at work with his partner rebuilding an engine at the time of the murder. Mm. They ask him about his guns. They're all legal and registered. He has so many because he shoots competitively. But you already know that. Yeah, he's like, you already know all this stuff. He refuses to give them his nine millimeter for testing. And Stabler's like, you're going to play us. We're just going to keep right on digging. And Winfield's like, then grab a shovel, brother. No probable cause, no warrant, no guns. He's got them pressed and they have nothing on him. So he asks if they're going to charge him because if not, he wants to go home. Yep. And they don't. So he leaves. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are in Cragen's office. Cragen hangs up the phone. Munch just let him know that the wife of Winfield's partner put him at home in bed at 9 p.m. That's right. Winfield's alibi does not check out. Cabot's already working on warrants. Cragen had also had a conversation with Winfield's former captain about his bad shoot. So the gun they found on the perp in that case was a plant. There was no serial number and it was wiped completely clean. Mm. And I'm like, are they implying Winfield shot him and planted the gun to have a reason to shoot him? Like, is he just carrying this gun around with him? Maybe. Winfield was offered early retirement because prior to this incident, he had eight commendations. Oh, that's right. This was weird to me the way Cragen said this. He goes, the case he was working on was real badass. Captain said it ate him to the bone. Stabes mentally goes somewhere else for a second and I'm like, he's relating. The warrants are on their way, so Munch and Toots are going to Winfield's house and Cragen wants Benson and Stabler to go to the business (laughs) garage. (laughs) So they're at the auto repair place. Win Mick Auto Repair. Win Mick Auto Repair. They have a fucking warrant. Winfield walks in and he's like, what the hell's going on? And the guy's like, I couldn't do anything and hands him the warrant. Stabler's looking through shit and all of a sudden fucking slices his hand on something. So this uniformed cop walks in with a gun he found in an oil drum out back Mm -hmm. and they arrest Winfield. Yep. So we're in the squad room and the ballistics on the gun they found match the bullet that was shot into Campbell's place, but not the two murders. So Cabot says that she can charge Winfield with attempted murder and that's it. Cragen says that she should throw threatened to cause enough of a fuss so that they reopen the Albany investigation on his bad shoot. Mm-hmm. And Stabler jumps to Winfield's defense and he's like, I read the file and there was a kid in the car. Winfield thought the perp had a gun. This guy had already raped and tortured the kid's mom. Like, what the fuck? And Cragen's like, yeah, but we have two murders to close. And Stabes does not like that. He feels like Cragen is using this against him, using his like yeah. good cop stuff against him. Yeah. Cragen doesn't give a shit what kind of cop Winfield was. He's got two murders to deal with stabler sees himself in winfield cop wise yeah and asks if he can take a shot at yeah him. he's like i understand him let me take a shot and craigan's like here we go 
Yeah. So the gun that they found in the oil drum, he did shoot into Campbell's apartment, which is like, so you went after the least of the dudes. The the least. Yeah. That's a good one. The least. <laughs> yeah. Stabler and Winfield are in the interrogation room. They're just kind of having a chat, cop stuff. So he was uh, 16 years on the job. He was going to be a, the captain. And then Alan Kreider happened, which is the guy that he had the bad shoot with. Stabler tells him about his own Alan Kreider that he had to deal with that kind of fucked him up. It was like this guy that sold insurance and he was like a really awesome dude and the kids really liked him. He'd invite them up for stories and ice cream. Mm-hmm. And then a little six-year-old girl went missing and they found her her and a bunch of other kids like in various states of decomposition under his floorboards but he was gone and it was a cold case i mean stabler was like obsessing about this for two years two years had gone by and he was having terrible headaches terrible nightmares like imagining his kids under the floorboard of course interpreting it as like a part of his own life yeah and then one day stabler's at a fucking gas station sees the guy next thing you know he's got his head pushed up against the guy's car and his fucking gun up against his head yelling freeze and then realizing that he's telling himself to freeze because he feels like he is gonna pull the trigger and he's just like waiting for this guy to like give him a reason like blink or breathe or anything and then he sees a beautiful little six-year-old girl with big eyes like looking at him in the back seat of this dude's car yeah and he was like i thought that she had seen enough and winfield was like yeah she saw enough so they both have these like intense stories but like stabler and winfield both took different paths out of it right or into it you know and with that, like, it makes me believe Winfield's story because then that loosens him up enough. He drops his guard enough to share his story with Stabler. Mm-hmm. He's like, my situation was just a little different because the perp pulled the kid from the car to use as a shield, but the kid bit him and ran. He's like, as soon as he ran, I shot. And he still insisted that he really believed that the perp had a gun. Yeah, he was like, I swear he had a gun, but maybe it was wishful thinking. Like, they're really mm-hmm. actually talking now, you know? Yeah. So then Stabes leans in for the kill. Yeah. We got to do the right thing here. Winfield turns his chair and he's like, I didn't kill those guys. He's like, I literally had those flyers for information and prevention. And he's like, but I did fucking shoot at Campbell's window to get him out of there to maybe save him. Which I'm like, that's really weird logic. (laughs) Yeah. So then Winfield tells Stabler about the night that he came upon Marchek's murder. He was on duty. He heard gunshots. So he ran toward the sound of the gunshots and he saw a woman fleeing the scene and he had insane detail about this woman. This is where the old cop thing comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Stabler's like, oh, do you remember any details? And he's like, yeah, five, six, 120 pounds, brown hair, leather jacket flapping open. And then I saw this blue sequin <laughs> shirt underneath. Did dark you say pants, sequins? boots. You said sequins. A sequined. Sequenda. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, this would have helped at the time. Yeah. He describes Gloria to a T. To a fucking T. He's like, did you see the big C? Because she was in that. And then she also (laughs) did. I'm just like, yeah. So Stapler's like, why didn't you fucking tell us this? And he's like, everyone is here to waste their time. I know. Nobody can do it in one lap. He's like, I didn't say it before because I I saw that it was Marchek and I figured he got what he deserved. Which I get it. Like he didn't. It was like, oh, she probably had a good reason to kill this guy because this guy's a piece of shit. But either he's going to go down or he's going to help. Munch and Toots are at the club talking to Gloria's co-worker, and she's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, Gloria's not here, detective. She's off today. Mm-hmm. She says Gloria dates abusive, trashy, moochy losers. 
But Tommy was different. Mm -hmm. Here's our quarterly reminder that this guy raped and maimed a six-year-old. Yeah. Okay. This coworker said that Tammy and Gloria, she called her Glow. Yeah. Tommy and Glow broke up a week prior and Gloria was super upset about it. So they continue to ask her about if she worked until 3 a.m. And she's like, yeah, you checked her punch card right and they're like fucking tell us what's going on and she's like all right she left around fucking what was it 10 or 11 yeah 11 and the manager didn't notice so i clocked her out at three to cover for her right yeah she wasn't at work when she was kind of supposed to be right yeah so benson and stabler go to gloria's apartment and there's generic pearl jammy music just like blasting Mm -hmm. through her front door and gloria's not answering the door the neighbor comes up and tells them that it's been going on for over an hour and stabe's foot punches the door (laughs) in he does he's like i hope the deadbolt's not on Yeah. They find her bleeding out in the bathtub in an apparent suicide attempt. Um, she's got a faint pulse, so they pull her out and wrap her cut wrist to stop the bleeding and call a bus. Yeah, and like Stabler had cut his hand earlier, like I said, at the auto repair stuff. So his bandage was like all covered in her blood and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we're at the hospital and the doctor's talking to Benson and Stabler and she's like, dude, she was lucky. Like one or two more minutes of bleeding out and she probably wouldn't have made it. Which I thought was very specific. I'm sure they can tell that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because it's like they can tell how much blood someone lost. They can tell how much, on average, how much blood someone can lose before they pass out or whatever, yeah. you know? So Benson and Slaver want to talk to her, but she's like, hey, I need to let you guys know because of all the blood that was in there that you guys have been exposed to HIV. And then I was like, oh, my God, Stabler's hand. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of like, Ugh. So they're in Gloria's room and she's crying and she's like, you guys should have just let me die. And she's like, did you hurt yourself because of Marchek? And she's like, yeah. And they're like, because he broke up with you? And she's like, no, I broke up with him. So he gave me fucking HIV. And then they're like, and Craig Moss? And she's like, who? Oh, yeah, I killed him too. Whatever. Olivia's like, all right, here's the good old false confession test. Why'd you use a knife on him? Yeah. And Gloria's like, why do you care? I did it. Now leave me alone. Yeah. And Olivia's like, Ugh. Nobody can fucking shoot straight with us. Yeah. God, no wonder cops always give me fucking speeding tickets. I'm like, I didn't realize how fast I was going. And they're like, everyone lies to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I do. I am lying. Yeah. The whole squad's in the squad room. Squadding it up. Squad style. Did you hear me? Yeah. Why is that not funny? Why didn't you laugh at that? Because it's not funny. That's why you didn't laugh at it. <laughs> funny. I don't Sorry. All right. So Benson, Stabler, and Craig are in the fucking squad room. And they're like, who is she protecting? And then Craig is like, oh, my God, wait, Moss had HIV, too. The virus sept that Gloria, Moss and Marchek had in their medicine cabinets, like their HIV medication was prescribed all from the same clinic where Louise works. That lady that I like yes. from all the shows. Yes. Yeah. She is a social worker at this clinic. State Street Clinic. So she is connected to boom, boom, boom. All three of the people involved. Yeah. So Louise is in the interrogation room and, and Benson, Stabler, and Cragen are behind the glass. Louise doesn't seem rattled at all, but she brought in a bunch of social work stuff to do. Turns out she has a nine millimeter register to her. Wah, wah, wah. What's crazy? Do you move to New York City and like the city gives you a nine millimeter or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a single tomato and a nine millimeter. Welcome to NYC. <laughs> She's been waiting for 20 minutes. Benson and Stabler go in. Stabler says something weird and I don't get it, but then says, what I meant to say is <laughs> HIV is no longer a death sentence, which isn't the thing that he said before that, right? 
he was like i don't know i didn't he was like you got a lot of work to do or something and she's like yeah don't you he's he was like just like my job and she's like don't you ever get a win and he was like what i meant was that hiv is no longer a death sentence that's what you guys say right and i was like because she yeah no she took his i know what you're talking about she took his comment because he was like you know seeing the similarities in our job oh your work's never done you know Mm -hmm. and she's like yeah, but you get a win sometimes. She's dealing with people who are dying all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I mean... Yeah, yeah. Benson lets her know that Gloria confessed to murdering Marchek and Moss and then had tried to kill herself. And then Louise asked if she was all right. Benson said that Gloria wasn't really making a lot of sense. And Louise says, well, that's because she was trying to protect me. The cops are like, oh, that was easy. Louise counseled Marchek for four months. He always insisted he wasn't sleeping with anyone. But then he accidentally told her about having sex with his girlfriend. Louise told him that he had to tell her so she could get tested. And he kept putting it off. So Louise told Gloria, the girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Gloria tested positive and realized Marchek was a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And Stabler's like, why'd you kill him? And she's like, he murdered her with his lies. That's why. She's very upset. And it turns out she was raped nine years ago and got HIV and now has AIDS and the drugs don't work for her anymore. And mm-hmm. she was like, I'm not going to, I wasn't going to let these fucking pieces of shit do this to another woman. Yeah. And they were like, why did you kill Moss? And she's like, I wasn't going to chance it. Mm-hmm. Gloria's got fucking HIV from that piece of shit. Just may as well kill this guy. Right. Now we're in the squad room. Everybody's kind of packing up to go home. Olivia's like, are you all right? Do I go get a drink? And he's kind of like, nah, I'm going to go home. And then uh, Stabler walking out and Craig and stops him and he asks him about the doctor. And Yeah, Liv was acting weird at the desk. And at first I'm like, what are you doing? But she's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, see you tomorrow. And he's like, you will. Yeah. I think they're just worried about him because of the hand. Yeah. But Craig and... But I didn't know that at the moment. So I'm just like, what is with like these uh, finger guns? See you later. And it was like, it was a hard case for him, I think, because you know how he is. Yeah. You know how he is. <laughs> he's always been like that. <laughs> Craig and's like, so what's up with the doctor? The doctor said the bandages probably block blood from getting into his wound. But just in case, he has a month's supply of like antiretrovirals. And he's like, mm-hmm. good to hear. And then he's like, Craig and... Thank you. Yeah. And Craigan wants to be there for Stabes, but we all know that Stabes is going to tough guy it. Yeah. This episode wasn't technically based on anything. I mean, obviously, it had crazy twists like, ooh, is it Eric Roberts? Nope. It's fucking and Dowd. Mm-hmm. I just chose a couple of the elements and found a story based on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the later morning hours of September 6, 1992, around 11 a.m., a 25-year-old woman was asleep in her room. Now, we never learned the name of this woman because she remained anonymous. Okay. Okay. She was asleep in her room when she was awoken with a gun pointed at her. Thinking she was being robbed, she gave the intruder $300 that she had received as a college graduation gift. But he said it wasn't enough. And he raped her. (gasps) After her attacker left, she attempted to call police, but the phone line had been cut. So she walked out to a second floor balcony, jumped to the ground and climbed a seven foot fence to get to the neighbor's house. Oh, my God. On January 16th, Dwayne Lamont Peterson turned himself into authorities in Alabama. He had recently fled there after the shooting and robbery of a 38-year-old woman on the north side of Detroit. 
he had turned himself in as the charges climbed. Police had him for committing about 100 burglaries and raping nine or 10 women. Jesus. Also, Peterson was previously imprisoned in 1985. He had been sentenced to one and a half to 10 years for assault with intent to commit armed robbery, and he was later paroled. He had had run-ins with the police for years, but always for B&Es. He had said this, that his main goal was burglary, but if he found a woman attractive, he would sexually assault her. So, like, if he came in and there happened to be a woman there. Yeah. So, during this time, as he's being held on multiple charges, our 25-year-old survivor came forward to police saying that she had tested positive for HIV (gasps) after her rape. So, Peterson is the one who had broken into her place. Mm Mm-hmm robbed her and raped her she had been a virgin prior to the attack oh my fucking god in michigan so this was in detroit in michigan it is a felony to intentionally pass the hiv virus that includes not informing a sexual partner of one's status you can end up being charged with attempted murder in an unprecedented event 36th district court magistrate irma chenevert signed a search warrant for doctors to test peterson's blood it came back positive for hiv then the issue was proving that he himself already knew that he had hiv peterson's mother patty peterson then told police that he had told her in August of the previous year that he Mm. was HIV positive. Good for her. And she didn't believe him when she told him because she just said he tells a lot of stories. Oh. Which would be a really fucked up thing to say to your mom, you know? Yeah. After being informed of his charges by police, he admitted to his mother that he had raped this woman too. Peterson's mother then spoke with the press and said this, quote, I said, look, Dwayne, Please tell me the truth. Did you rape anyone? And he said, yes, mom, I did. I said, you pray because that's all I can do for you. And I hung up the phone on him. I was so horrified. So his mom isn't here for this shit. Speaking of moms who aren't defending their rapist sons, he went on to fully cooperate and give details of several crimes. I could only find so many details about this case because, one, I only have so many resources and it was from the early 90s. But I would love to get some, like, video of the fucking interrogation because this guy told them fucking everything. He turned himself in. But he wasn't like, ooh, something happened and I can't take it and I've got it, whatever. Like, he was a career criminal. Yeah. He went on to fully cooperate and give details in several crimes. When asked about the September 6th attack, Peterson told police that he used to cut the grass in front of the woman's home, which was in his mom's neighborhood. On the morning of the attack, Peterson says he cut the telephone wire and climbed in a window. He said, quote, I went back to the bedroom. She was laying on the bed crying. I told her to take her panties off. Then I raped her. Then I got what she had gave me and I left, which was the $300. Yeah. Um, Judge Dalton Robertson imposed seven charges, which included first degree criminal sexual conduct, attempted murder, attempted rape, breaking and entering, armed robbery, and use of a firearm during a felony. At 26 years old, Peterson was sentenced to 32 to 50 years in prison. Prosecutor Robert Donaldson said Peterson would likely serve at least 32 years because he was a habitual offender. Yeah. The survivor who contracted the virus said, quote, I think he should die now. He took my life away from me for no reason. 
I'll probably die within a year and I'll never get married and I'll never be able to have children and I'll never be a doctor. Oh my God. Again, this was in the early 90s. So the treatment for this was not where it is now and not even where it was in the episode when they're talking about it not being a death sentence anymore. Mm -hmm. In the same hand, but on the other side of it, Peterson's defense attorney, Sequoia Dubois, says 32 years is a life sentence for Peterson because when it comes to offenders with HIV, anything over 10 years is life. This fucking attorney also talked about suing the Detroit Police Department because they disclosed that his client had HIV, which is a potential violation of Michigan law protecting AIDS victims. The police argue that they wanted to inform his other rape victims along with consensual partners. So there was a lot of debate in regards to how this was handled because it was strongly argued that his rights were fucked with because his test results were made public along with his name. So in Michigan at the time, AIDS testing of people convicted of rape was mandatory, but there was no law regarding the testing of suspects. And since Peterson's blood was drawn before he was charged with this woman's rape, his lawyer Sequoia Dubois said it was a violation of his right to privacy. Mm. Inspector Michael Falvo, the Detroit PD's legal advisor at the time, said this, though, quote, partly because as few as 10 percent of rapes are believed to be reported, we felt there was a compelling need in this particular circumstance to have the dissemination of this information to the public, which I know that like because we talk about it all the time, how like even though people are pieces of shit, they still have rights and blah, 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 blah. But like this to me is the pinnacle of the argument, right? Yeah, because you're like, yeah, it's so hard. It's so fucking hard. Because it's true. Like, he's a serial rapist and he's knowingly giving people HIV in the fucking early 90s. Yeah. And there may be people who were raped by him that don't report. And then they're not going to get to know that this guy who did, like, they they have to disclose what they have a right to not disclose. Yeah. It's hard. To get the information that they, I don't know. Yeah. So usually when someone is charged with attempted murder, it has to be proven that the intent was to kill the other person because this is hard to prove. Many states have passed laws using criminal transmission statutes. So here the prosecutor doesn't have to establish intent to kill because it's enough that the perpetrator intentionally engaged in behavior that could result in infecting others. Yeah. So that's all I could really find on this case. I just thought it was one really fucked, two really interesting. And it was really crazy to read, you know, articles where they did talk about it like like the kiss of death. You know? Yeah. Oh, God. Ugh. That's so... Yeah, that's a complicated one. But I'm sure that there's there's got to be an SVU episode in the future. And, you know, there's plenty of cases like this. Mm-hmm. There was actually one in Florida where this dude was convicted of attempted murder because he had sex with an underage person. No, there is an SVU episode, I remember, where a guy has S- has AIDS and he's, like, knowingly banging people. Oh, yeah. There is that's one. I can't remember. Did we already do it? 10? No, 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 it's in the future. It's, 11? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so, I mean, there's plenty more fucked up shit. This is not a one and done. Deal. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, your back hurts, so we're going to be yeah. done. I yeah. I feel better. It's, I feel all right standing up now. Follow us on all socials at SVUpod. Email us at SVUpod at gmail.com. Check out our website, SVUpod.com. You can go there. We've got some merch. Rate and review us. Mm, yep. <laughs> yeah. Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad, on Facebook, SVU Pod Elite Squad. <laughs> Hashtag, oh, there's there's other podcasts now, hashtagging a little bit loud. Yeah. Keep doing it, and I'm going to uh, make a little list and shout you out if you're using the hashtag a little bit loud as a small podcast. Yay. Whee! Next week on SVU Pod Especially Heinous. 
season two, episode 14. Your mom. (laughs) (laughs) Terry finds herself in a bind. In a pickle. (laughs) It's called Paranoia. The rape of a veteran police officer is first linked to her ex-husband's gambling debts, then to her fellow officers. Whoa. How come we've never done any like weird fan fiction our entire lives about Mary and Terry hanging out? The Mary and Terry show? Oh my God. We used to try to force them to be friends, but then your parents moved. Yeah, that could have been really bad, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I wouldn't have. No, we would have. There have been so many like fucking joint interventions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 I love you. Bye. <laughs> All right. So Benson said we're at the Campbell house. Campbell. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Cambler's beef stew. Okay. I'll just watch fucking TikTok until I fucking die of dehydration. Fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. Sorry. That one was just for you. <laughs> I didn't have you on the screen, so I didn't even see you gear up for it or anything. Oh, it's like, you know, podcast is for everybody! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That's your fucking Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, okay.